So the reading is taken from 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 1 to 12, and you can find that on page 1217 in your pew Bibles if you want to follow along. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's select exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying word, work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and unto an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Catherine. Heavenly Father, we pray that in the written word and through the spoken word, we may see the living word, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Where are they now? A question is often asked by magazines and TV programs about people who were in the news decades earlier. What are they doing now? Well, this morning I want us to ask the same question about the Apostle Peter at the time his first letter was written. Some 30 years earlier he had given his famous speech on the day of Pentecost to a crowd of Jews that had gathered to find out what was going on. We saw last week 
how he spoke to them about having seen Jesus alive again after his crucifixion. He quoted from scripture as he explained how this was part of God's long-awaited plan of salvation. And he called on them to believe in the risen Jesus and experience God's forgiveness and his presence in their lives. That all happened shortly after the drama of the first Easter when Jesus' tomb was found to be empty and the disciples were astonished to see him alive again. But by the time of our reading this morning, three decades had elapsed. What was Peter saying now? Had his message changed on mature reflection? We read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth through, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Thirty years on, he's still praising God that Jesus had risen. So let's take a closer look this morning at what he has to say and who he's saying it to. If you'd like to follow along, it's in the Church Bibles, page 1217. He begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The places named here are in modern-day Turkey, but they were part of the Roman Empire in New Testament times. The Christians scattered across those provinces would mostly have been Gentiles. So that's an obvious difference from Peter's Jewish audience on the day of Pentecost. But the striking thing here is that Peter calls them God's elect, that is God's chosen people. For Peter's understanding of the gospel had developed. God had shown him through an encounter with a Roman centurion called Cornelius that the good news about Jesus was just as much for Gentiles as it was for Jews. Peter describes his readers as exiles and in the next chapter as foreigners. But that isn't a reference to their nationality. Rather, it describes their new situation as believers. For they were now citizens of heaven and no longer blended in with the communities in which they lived. For example, they declined to take part in civic events that honored the gods of their society. And they held different values regarding sex and material wealth. As a result, they were subjected to ridicule, to social exclusion, and opposition for publicly identifying with Jesus. But although they were described as exiles and foreigners, they did have a sense of belonging, for they were chosen by God, and as we read in the next chapter, they now belonged to God's holy nation. That's an echo of what was said about the Israelites in the Old Testament. And there are similar echoes at the beginning of this letter. When Peter writes that they were obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. 
back in the time of the Exodus when the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt, they solemnly committed themselves to God's covenant with them and were then sprinkled with the blood of sacrifices. Peter's point here is that his readers are party to a new covenant with God through the blood of Jesus. God had called them through Jesus and they had obeyed that call. Peter doesn't seem to have known these believers personally, but he'd obviously heard about them and knew the difficulties they were facing. He makes clear his common bond with them when he writes about our Lord Jesus Christ. And the purpose of his letter is summarized in chapter 5, where he says, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So let's now look at the substance of Peter's message to find that same encouragement for ourselves as we seek to follow Jesus. Praise God, says Peter in verse 3. Why? Because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter certainly had experienced God's mercy. For even though he denied all knowledge of Jesus on the night before his crucifixion, Peter had been forgiven and restored. He had also been given hope for the future when Jesus told his disciples, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So, how confident was Peter about this promised future? He was sure of it because Jesus had risen from the dead. He and hundreds of other disciples had seen Jesus alive again after his crucifixion. So he had a firm basis for this living hope that he writes about. And he describes the future that Jesus promised to believers as an inheritance. Verse 4, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. That reminds us of what Jesus said about having treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. When it comes to inheritance in Ireland today, we may not know in advance who will inherit what. And even if we do know that our name has been put on a particular piece of property, there's no guarantee that it will still be there when the time comes or that we will live to inherit it. But the inheritance that comes through faith in Jesus is completely different. It has been announced in advance by God and it is in his safe keeping. What's more, we're told, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is, 
Not only would God keep their, the inheritance of believers safe, but he would keep them safe for, from spiritual harm and ensure that they would receive it. So, although Peter's readers no longer fully believed, but no longer fully belonged in their society, they belonged to God's family and had a future with him. Christian hope is faith that looks forward on the basis of God's promises. They could look forward to the best inheritance of all. So Peter urges them to look back to Easter when Jesus rose from the dead and to look forward to when Jesus will return. Those are profound reasons for praising God. What's more, they enabled his readers to face their present challenges, as we'll now see. Peter continues in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. His readers were misunderstood, mocked, and mistreated for following Jesus rather than conforming to the ways of their society. This made life uncomfortable for them, and there seemed to be no end to it in sight. Yet, Peter says, it was only for a little while. Just as we would be willing to accept uncomfortable medical treatment for the sake of a better future, so Peter asks his readers to face their troubles in the light of eternity with God. What's more, this experience would strengthen their faith. Verse 7, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, honour and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is thinking of how a precious metal would be subjected to intense heat so that the impurities would rise to the surface and could be skimmed off. That was worth the effort if the metal was sufficiently valuable. But their faith in Jesus was of much greater value. The trials they were facing would help them to see more clearly what is really important and what they could let go of. In the process, their faith would be refined and enriched. It's a bit like the stress testing that's applied to banks today or the, to critical computer software. The point of such testing is to highlight areas of vulnerability and enable better protection in the future. As those early Christians overcame the temptation to give up on Jesus for the sake of an early life, an, e an easy life, they grew in their commitment to him and became better equipped to face the challenges that lay ahead. Next, Peter comments on a point of difference between him and his readers. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Peter had seen Jesus, but he'd also been present when Thomas, who'd refused to believe in the risen Jesus for himself until he saw him, uh, Thomas had declared, my Lord and my God. And Jesus had responded, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That was the position of Peter's readers. They hadn't seen the risen Jesus, but they believed in him and loved him. And they were receiving the blessing that Jesus had promised. As Peter wrote to them, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That was the perspective they needed to have as they continued to experience opposition. Jesus had warned his disciples, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So they needed to learn perseverance in the face of trials, to hold firmly to their living hope in the risen Jesus. That would fill them with joy and resilience as they followed him through such challenges. So, firstly, Peter pointed them to the living hope they had in the resurrection of Jesus and the eternal inheritance that was awaiting them. Secondly, he urged them to see their trials in the light of this hope and to use them as an opportunity to deepen their trust in Jesus, whom they loved. Thirdly, Peter wants them to grasp where they stand in God's timeline of salvation. We read in verse 10, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing, when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Now, of course, the Old Testament prophets ministered in the first place to the people of their times. They spoke God's word to the people of Israel in a particular situation. But Peter says that they also did more than that, for they pointed towards a Messiah that God would one day send. What prophecies did Peter have in mind? Last week we heard how he quoted from two different Psalms of David in a speech to the crowd on the day of Pentecost. As we read on in this letter, we find another pointer to Old Testament prophecy, this time from the book of Isaiah. For in chapter 2, he quotes from Isaiah 53 as he writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. But when was this Messiah expected to come? And how would it all work out? The prophets themselves longed to know. 
Peter says they searched intently and with the greatest care, but they weren't told when or how. That privilege is given to those who hear the gospel about Jesus. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So Peter's readers, along with Christians today, have the profound privilege of knowing how God's plan of salvation announced long ago would unfold in Jesus. What prophets and angels had longed to know, we can now see and embrace for ourselves. There's an old heresy dating back to Marcion about a century after Christ, which urged Christians to dispense with the Old Testament the scriptures that Jesus knew and honoured. But Peter's message here is the opposite. He writes that the Holy Spirit, who equipped the church to preach the gospel of Jesus, was also the one who inspired the prophets to write about him all those centuries earlier. That is, the whole of the Bible was inspired by the one Spirit and appoints to the one Saviour, Jesus. As Augustine famously said long ago about the two testaments in our Bibles, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. So, what should we take away from this reading? Peter's first point concerned the focus of our hopes. And he repeats this in the verses following our reading, where he writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And verse 21, Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. That is, we look forward to the future God has prepared for us as we trust in the one who raised Jesus from the dead. It's a striking contrast, isn't it, to that song we hear every Christmas, every December, which says, I wish it could be Christmas every day. That's a forlorn wish. It can't be Christmas every day. But Peter says that for believers, it can and should be Easter every day. That's the starting point for the encouragement that Peter provides in this letter. Secondly, as Peter explains in more detail later in the letter, this hope should shape us to live distinctively in a society that has no time for God. And it should shape how we view any difficulties we encounter in following Jesus. Not long after Peter wrote this letter from Rome, a great persecution broke out there against Christians under Emperor Nero. Many believers were put to death. 
Peter himself would be crucified. Why didn't they just renounce their faith to avoid such a fate? The reason was that they knew Jesus had risen and they trusted his promise of a future life with him. Today, in many parts of the world, Christians continue to suffer imprisonment and even the prospect of death for their faith. They hold on to the same hope that Peter wrote about. Through the organization Church in Chains that David Turner leads, we can hear their stories and respond with our prayers and support. Their example also challenges us to accept the much smaller cost of following Jesus in Ireland today. Finally, Peter urges us to see the gospel message as the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation announced long before in the Old Testament. So let's engage with the whole of the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, and seek to learn more about how its message speaks to us today. We all need encouragement as we follow Jesus. And that's what Peter's letter provides. Thirty years had passed since he first preached about the resurrection, but the heart of his message remained the same. It's still Easter. So let's take this message to heart as we grind our hopes in the living Jesus. And no matter what troubles we face, Let's find our deepest joy and security in knowing him and looking forward to the future he has planned for us. Amen.